Welcome to the All People's Church Sunday podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more messages and resources, please visit allpeoples.com or download our free All People's Church app. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts. As we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. All right, church. How you doing? Starting to feel like fall a little bit, enjoying the cooler weather. We are in our prayer series. We only have two weeks left. I hope that you have enjoyed it as much as I have, and we are coming to the phrase, lead us not into temptation, and as we're talking about abstaining from temptation this morning, I read a funny story of a 90-year-old couple, and they had lived a very healthy life, much due to the wife's diligence to keep them on a healthy diet and an exercise regime. However, they died in a car accident. They go up to heaven, they come to the pearly gates, St. Peter meets them, of course, and leads them to their mansion, and they walk through, and he's showing them all these rooms, this palatial palatial house with all kinds of beautiful furnishings. The old man looks at St. Peter and says, this is amazing, how much is it going to cost us? St. Peter says, nothing, this is heaven, it's free. He goes, but you've got to see the backyard, he leads them to the backyard, He goes, look at this, and opens the door, and they are on the most majestic golf course. And he says, the amazing thing about this backyard is the golf course changes every week. The old man looks at him and goes, that's amazing. How much is it going to cost me? He goes, this is heaven. It's free. He goes, no, you've got to see this. He takes him to the country club on the golf course in heaven. Shows him this beautiful buffet table with all these amazing fixings. The man looks at it and goes, what's it going to cost us to eat here? By now, St. Peter's getting a little frustrated. He goes, I told you, this is heaven. It's all free. The older man looks and goes, but, but where are, are the healthy foods? Where, where are the low carbs and the, and the greens? St. Peter goes, that's the best part of heaven. You can eat whatever you want here, and you won't gain any weight. You won't get fat. It won't kill you. All of a sudden, the old man throws down his hat. He starts cursing and spitting. St. Peter and his wife say, what's wrong? What's wrong? He looks at his wife and says, this is all your fault. This is all your fault. She goes, what? What? He goes, if you wouldn't have given me all those bran muffins and all that exercise, I could have been here 20 years ago. (laughs) We put up Matthew chapter 6. 
Matthew chapter 6, once again we've been reading this together every week, the Lord's Prayer, believing that each phrase is a doorway into a room of intimacy and fellowship with God. Would you read this out loud with me this morning? Our Father in heaven, you can do better than that church, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This morning we come to the second to last phrase in the Lord's Prayer as dictated in Matthew 6. And lead us not into temptation. I believe we're all very familiar with temptation. Who has not seen the young toddler who is told not to touch something, and in the next moment, whether it's out of curiosity or outright rebellion, they go and do the very thing they were commanded not to. Temptation is as old as the earth is. And I, I think back to one of the times I got into the most trouble as a child. My, my mom was wonderful. She was a home economics major, a child development studies is what she studied. And, and so she had all kinds of fun activities for us in the house. She had all kinds of engaging experiences. So there were very few things that we were told we couldn't do, but one of the things that was off limits was the medicine cabinet. And for some reason, that medicine cabinet had a powerful draw on my life. It's like a tractor beam. It was like I was hearing a voice, come to me, Robert, come to me. And so just like Snow White with that apple, I remember one day as my friend Joshua was over that I went to that medicine cabinet and I had no idea how much fun I would have. I pulled out all kinds of ointments and lotions and, and creams and liquids and little gels and I opened them up and I poured them into one heap and to, to, to my delight, it started bubbling over like a magical cauldron. And I was just waiting for this explosion. You know, I was thinking, maybe I've invented something that'll change the world. And right in the midst of that, no explosion came, but something else came, and it was my mother. And I can tell you, the rest of that day wasn't a good one for me. And, you know, I think we all have these different experiences where we did something that was the very thing we knew that we shouldn't do. And the, the, the thing that happens is these maybe mischievous endeavors that seem to be harmless as a child one day grow into very dangerous and deleterious behaviors that bring destruction into our life as we get older. Luke 17, 1 says this, speaking from Jesus, and he said to his disciples, temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. I want to give you several important notes about temptation this morning, and I want to encourage you to take notes as I have a fire hydrant worth of revelation to share. I want you to, to, to write these down, and I want you to study them this week. Point one about temptation is that we will all be tempted. 
we will all be tempted. Jesus said that temptation is sure to come. And even Jesus himself was tempted. Sometimes we have this thought, if I just became more Christ-like, I would never have any temptation. Is that correct? Jesus. There was no one more Christ-like than Christ. And yet he was tempted, and even after Jesus withstands his temptation, when the devil himself comes and tempts him, Jesus withstands it. But listen to this verse at the end of the temptation of Jesus. It says, and when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Even when Jesus had withstood temptation, the enemy says he's going to come back and tempt him more. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. This is a very important foundational verse in our understanding of temptation. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. This is good news for many people in this room because I know that in a room this size there are many people that are buckling under the weight of temptation and you think I just can't get out. Look at the truth of the word of God today. Several other points I want to deduce from this. Uh, Number two, you are not alone in temptation. You're not the only person that's being tempted. So oftentimes the enemy wants to isolate us and make us feel different, make us feel unique. I'm the only person in this room that's going through this. And yet scripture says that no temptation is overtaking you that's not common. Say common, church. Temptation is common. And that is why it's so important in our small group communities, in our discipleship relationships, in our accountability partnerships to actually talk about the temptation we're going through because it exposes that you're not the only one going through it. Wow, this is normal. What I'm experiencing, it's not good, but it's normal. Here's another point that we see. No temptation has overcome you that's not common to man. Number three, God won't let you be tempted beyond what you can handle. We think, I'm going to die from this temptation. I absolutely can't withstand it. And God says, no, I'm never going to allow more temptation into your life than you can actually handle. Do you know that? God will never allow temptation to come into your life that you can't withstand. And here's another one, number four. God will always provide a way out. But with the temptation, he'll always provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So why is it so important to understand temptation? Here is the reason that we must have a foundational understanding of temptation because it's the primary attack that the enemy uses to keep you from living out your destiny. Uh, Let me say it this way. We get so concerned about temptations from the outside. There's so much talk about ISIS this day, so much concern about terrorist attacks. I'm not saying that that's not valid, but can I tell you, that's not the primary attack that the enemy is using against Christians. Uh, I'm hearing so many people freak out about these elections They're so concerned. Man, our whole world can be destroyed. Can I just tell you that the Bible is full of stories of God's children prospering and fulfilling his will in the midst of tyrannical governments? 
So I'm not saying it's not important. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be involved or that we should intercede for our nation in this time in history. We absolutely should. But someone, the, the wrong person, an evil person being put in government is not our greatest threat. The enemy has always used temptation as his primary weapon against us as believers. Are you following me? Because we're so concerned about things out here when really we should be concerned about things going on in here. Just watch this. Genesis chapter 3. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that's in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it or you will die. You will not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. When the, the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Let's, let's gain some important insight from the story concerning temptation. First of all, you've got to understand that the enemy starts his temptation by accusing the character of God. The greatest temptation that you will ever have in your life is the temptation to believe that God is not good. It's so fitting. We didn't intentionally do this, but of course, God supernaturally weaves things together. That song we were singing over and over and over again, you are good, you are good, oh, oh. you are good, right? <laughs> For some reason, it just feels good to say oh in songs, you know? That is the foundational truth that we build our life upon. That God is good. Can I tell you, the greatest temptation that comes against us is to not believe that truth, but to believe the lie, God is not good. So the enemy comes in to Adam and Eve's life and says, God is not good. God does not have his best in mind. God is lying. God is holding out from you. Are you following me? The reason we fall into temptation is because we buy into the lie that God is not good and that you going out and getting your own is better for you. Hello, are you awake? This is going to help someone. When you start questioning, is God good? When you start questioning, does God have my best in mind? When you start questioning, does God really want to prosper me? Maybe he wants to ruin my life. That's when we're subject to temptation. Can I just tell you, as a child growing up in church, my greatest concern was, God, I don't want to give you my life because you're going to ruin it. Have you ever had that thought before? Right? Yeah, there's like five people that are like, yeah, kind of, right? 
and the rest of you are liars, <laughs> he said lovingly. Uh, and, and the next thing is you always see the enemy starts tempting us with something that's good. Is fruit bad? It's a trick question. People are like, I, I, I don't know. I, uh, <laughs> you've read too many diet books. Fruit is good. <laughs> but he's tempting Eve with, with this fruit. What does it say? It says it was pleasing to the eye. It was desirable for gaining wisdom, right? That it was good for food. He tempts her with something that looks appealing. How, how do people get into deep darkness? It never stops. The enemy never comes. And, and we're just a child. And all of a sudden, he's like, come and be a mass murderer, serial killer. Drink blood. That's never how the enemy works. Right? He tempts us with something that looks appealing, that looks nice. And we're like, oh, yeah, that looks great. And, and we walk into that. And then we get in that sin cycle where we need more and more and more. And we get deeper and deeper into darkness and destruction. That's how the enemy starts in our life. Uh, and, and here's the next thing we see in this Genesis 3 passage that once man and woman partake, they, they go and walk headlong into their temptation. What does it do? It breaks fellowship with them and God, and they immediately want to hide because of their shamefulness. I, I, I remember walking into some sin as a young man and, and, um, and walking into this place, and my dad, my earthly dad, walks up, and he has this big smile on his face and puts out his arms and he goes, hey, Robert, how you doing? And all all I could do was drop my head as I was overwhelmed by shame and immediately distanced myself from my loving father. Why? Because I felt so dirty and unworthy of his love. And that's what following temptation does in us. It drives us apart from our loving Father. And then when we don't receive his love, then we need something to fill our hearts and we go more and more and more darker, darker, darker temptation. So how do we walk away from temptation? We read the scripture that he always provides a way of escape. So Jesus is teaching his disciples, and I would call them, he gives them tools for fighting temptation. If you're taking notes, write down temptation fighting tools, because Jesus gave several of them in his teachings to his Disciples. The first one we find in the very same chapter of Matthew 6 where he unpacks this amazing teaching on the Lord's Prayer. And, and we pick up in verse 22. It says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Some believe it was William Shakespeare that says that the eye is the window to the soul. And we think, ooh, that's so poetic. You know, the Bible takes it up a notch and doesn't just say the eye is the window to the soul. The, the, the Bible says the eye is the lamp into the heart. And so if your eyes are light, your body and your heart are light. But if your eyes are darkness, how great is that darkness within you? Do you understand that what you take in with your eyes brings light or darkness into your life? I, I, I don't think that I have to spend long on talking about the harmful effects of pornography in our life and the way that so many lives and so many marriages are destroyed and so many people become enslaved and 
don't get to live the kind of joyful, peaceful life that God has promised us because of this one type of temptation that we walk into. Can I, I tell you today, if you're dealing with pornography, that God can free you. He can break it free. There's these lies, even in the church, that say 80% of men deal with this, and that's just part of being a man. Can I tell you, I know countless men who are 100% free, including myself. Glory to God. You can be free, men. You can be free, women. But it starts with this commitment to put a guard on your eyes. Guarding your eyes is tool number one in order to fight temptation. This is what Job 31.1 says. Job actually says, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a young woman. Let me just ask you, men, have you made that covenant? Have you ever made this commitment I'm not going to look lustfully on another woman. Or have you just said, hey, that's just normal. That's what we do as men. Or that's what we do as women. We just look at at, at these people and we just have lust in our hearts. No, the Bible actually says you can make a covenant with your eyes not to do that. And, you know, I think pornography is pretty obvious. But what about just our normal mainstream media and movies? I I remember stepping in as a college student to become a life group leader, and my college group had a no-rated R movie policy for its leaders. And I was a movie buff. Like, I, I just love movies, and I watched all kinds of movies. And I remember going up to my college pastor and saying, I, I want to be a leader, but I think this rule is ridiculous. And I said, furthermore, I can watch rated R movies. I had just watched this awful, very sexual, and very violent movie. And I said, I watched that, and I'm not going off and having sex with people, and I'm not going to killing people. I don't think it affects me. And I remember him saying, Robert, we believe that guarding our eyes honors God. And we believe that guarding our eyes is an example to the body of Christ. Are you willing to lay this down to honor God and to honor others? And I went, oh, yeah. (laughs) I was very reluctant. I was very frustrated. But I did it anyway. The most amazing thing happened. After several weeks, I noticed that the temptation in my mind had significantly decreased. Because I wasn't feeding it. I wasn't feeding it. Do you know that whatever you feed grows? That was powerful. (laughs) I have this plant on the corner of my property, and I've been too lazy to, like, put a sprinkler system up there, so I have to, like, take a hose and feed it water, and I haven't been doing it, so guess what? It's dying. A a lot of us in this room will start getting free from our lust if we just stop feeding it. Just stop watering it. Just say, hey, I'm going to leave you up there. I'm not going to water it. I was so impacted by this this guideline they gave us as leaders. And I said, you know what? I'm going to do an experiment. And it was incredibly hard. But I went on almost a year fast from TV. And my... My thought life got so clear. I I had no idea that you could live in that way. Some of us, we battle so much. If you just stopped feeding and putting all the junk in, you wouldn't believe how free you'd get. Someone's going to get help today. Here's a second fighting tool, tool to fight temptation. is washing with the word. 
washing with the word. How did Jesus fight temptation? When the enemy comes and says, turn these stones into bread, what did Jesus do? It's interesting, Jesus didn't punch the devil in the face. I would have loved to see that. But he didn't. He instead said, it is written. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the Father's mouth. How did Jesus fight temptation? He fought it with the word. He fought it with the word. And so what I realized is I don't have much of the word in me. I'd been to church, but I had never stewarded much of the word in me. And so I started daily spending time with God out of necessity because I realized my mind is a mess. My heart is a wreck. And so I've got to get this train started off every day on the right tracks. You know, a train off the tracks is very dangerous. And so I realized I've got to get my mind on the right tracks. And so I'd begin every day in the word of God. I don't trust my mind if I'm not in the word every day. Do you start every day in the word? I, I do it out of necessity. It's not to be religious. It's not to earn God's favor. It's out of need. My, 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 I can wake up and I can be so concerned. I can be so distracted. I, I, I can be angry. I can have all kinds of things. But I find if I just start in the morning and just wash it with the word, right? You would not like to have a pastor that didn't take a shower every day. I'd be stanky, right? Now, in the same way, we need to wash our minds with the word. And that's how I start every day. I wash my mind with the word. But it's not just that. You know, I'd start with the word, and I'd be off to a good start. And then I'd realize, whenever I had just some downtime in the day, that my mind would drift to things I didn't want it to. I mean, it was embarrassing. I'm like, I'm trying to follow God, and where did that thought come from? Have you ever had that before? You're like, where did that come from? And then you're like, get out, get out, get out, and it won't get out. And then I, I remembered something from high school chemistry class, okay? I was horrible at high school chemistry. Like, I can't remember one thing on the periodic table. Well, that's wrong. I remember H2O. That's the one thing I remember. But they did teach me something that I found very helpful because I was freaked out about chemicals. Like they said, we're going we're gonna to mix chemicals together. And I'm thinking, you know, like that is dumb, right? High schoolers and chemicals. Like, but, but I remember them saying something smart. They said, we, we actually have the eye washing station. You remember those eye washing stations? Did you get the picture I sent, Perry? I, got, I sent a picture to all people's worship. I don't know if you can, no, she's saying no, no, okay. Let me just paint the picture for you uh, of, of this. And, and while I'm saying that, maybe you can search it because this is really cool. You, there is this station in the corner of the room, and it has these two spigots that come up. And you, what you do is if you get chemicals in your eyes, you go and you step on something with your foot, and the water goes like that up in your I mean, it just shoots in your eye, Right? And what does it do? It drives out the evil. That's what an eye-washing station does. <laughs> it, dry, it drives, out, drives out the evil. And, and, and so I, I realized, you know what? That's it. I need to drive out the evil from my mind. Now, here's the thing. Two things can't occupy the same space. Have you ever noticed that? I'm teaching some, like, powerful truths today. Right? <laughs> What, what you feed grows, two things can't occupy the same space, you know. Someone's going to, like, get a higher score on the SAT after this message right here. So, 
I have this junk in my mind, and I'm like, stop thinking about it, stop thinking about it, and it's not going away. And then I realize, no, if I flood my mind with something else, it will go out. And so I started flooding my mind with the word. So I would just be like driving in my car. That was one of the times that my mind could deal with temptation the most because it's just me and no one's there. I'm just driving and all of a sudden I'm like, ah! And so what I did, I started listening to sermons all the time. I just started buying sermons on CD all the time. You have it so much easier than I had it. Right? We have all the sermons we want for free now. I think that's how I learned to preach is I listened to so many sermons because I was like, I'm going to keep pounding my mind. I'm going to keep shooting water in my head, right, <laughs> to get this out. So I just listened to sermons and sermons and sermons, the Word of God, Word of God, and I bought the Bible on CD. You have it so much easier than me. Like you can get the Bible app and just push play and it plays for your mind, right? And I started washing out my mind by just taking in so much word. You wash your mind. Ephesians 5 says that he washes us with the word. Are you washing your mind with the word? I talked to two different men this week. One of them said, yeah, yeah I've been struggling with anxiety at night going to bed, but what I've started doing is reading the Bible over myself before I go to bed, and it's letting me go to sleep more peacefully. I talked to another guy. He said, yeah, my wife and I, we've been suffering from these bad dreams, so what we started doing is playing Scripture as we go to sleep. Let me just tell you, those are two very helpful hints that you can do to wash your mind. Washing your mind, using the word of God to combat temptation. Let me give you the third fighting tool. The third fighting tool is fighting verses. Fighting verses. I, I loved ninjas as a kid. thought ninjas were so cool. And the reason I thought ninjas were so cool is they didn't even have to get up to their opponent to start fighting because they had these cool things called throwing stars. And they go like, and throw them at people. Let me ask you, do you carry your throwing stars? This is my throwing star. I started carrying fighting verses. The enemy comes and attacks me. One of my battles was with anxiety. And so when I'm reading scripture, all of a sudden I come across something like Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Right? It talks about don't let any anxious thoughts come. Uh, uh, wait, do not be anxious about anything. I usually have this memorized. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all human understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. I put this to memory, but also when I'm putting it to memory, I put it on a note card and carry it in my back pocket. And so I'd be walking along campus, and all of a sudden I'd be all anxious, and I'd go, uh-uh. And I'd pull out my throwing star. I'd be like, oh, devil, I got it, right? And I'm ready. Do not be anxious. And, I, and I'd read it, and I'd just work on memorizing it until I had verses to combat the attack of the enemy. Sometimes people say, how do you have so much scripture in your head? I say, it's because I got attacked so much. Let the attack be the thing that drives you into the presence of God. Let that attack actually drive you into the word of God. Do you have your fighting verses? So each week, if you're dealing with something, find a verse that combats the, the actual attack of the enemy and carry it with you and commit it to memory and watch what it does in your life. Here's another interesting tool. You might not have thought about this when it comes to temptation. Being under a leader. Being under a leader. 
You know, sheep are very helpless, and they're very stupid. And yet we think it's so sweet when God calls us his sheep. <laughs> We're like, that's so sweet, God. He's like, <laughs> Sheep need a shepherd. Sheep need a shepherd. Can I just tell you, you need a shepherd. I need a shepherd. I have an over-shepherd, his name is Jesus. I have an under-shepherd, his name is Jimmy. <laughs> you need a pastor. You need someone who's looking out for you. Look at what, what Scripture says in Hebrews 13, 17. It says, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. Now, if you're at church this morning, which you are, I think you're brilliant. Because you're putting yourself in a place that has shepherds, and the power of shepherds is they actually care for you. Do you know that? That we love you. This pastoral staff loves you. I wouldn't hire anyone who doesn't first and foremost love people. Like that is the, the first obligation, the first qualification for this church staff is, do I see that they love people? But the Bible says that they actually watch over us. Listen to what 1 Thessalonians 5.12 says. It says, now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. I, can I just tell you, you need a shepherd who cares for you. You need a shepherd who watches over you. You need a shepherd who admonishes you. And whose responsibility is it to find that shepherd? It's yours. It's your responsibility to find that shepherd. Because if a shepherd went and said, I'm taking care of you, that's controlling. Right? That's called a boss. That's called a king. And shepherds aren't supposed to be that. Instead, they're supposed to be servants. And so it's our responsibility. So let me tell you what I did. I, I went to a pastor and said, I need your investment in my life. Will you mentor me? Will you speak into my life? I went to him and I actually said, hey, I want to give you permission to speak into my life. If you see me do any dumb thing, please feel free to share. Have you ever done that with someone? I'm looking for nods. Have you ever gone to someone and said, I give you permission to speak into my life? Like anything, nothing's off limits. You can speak into that. It is very uncomfortable. Can I just tell you that, that at different times, my, my pastor has shared with me some things, and I was like, oh, that hurt. Oh, that stung. Uh, but, but here's why we need a pastor, because we can do dumb things. Yeah. You ever notice that? Yeah. Like sheep do dumb things. I, I'm going to share something with you that, that is, is actually going to uh, shake you up and rattle you a little. Do you know that the Holy Spirit is not going to teach you everything you need to know just from him to you? Why? Because if he did, you would become prideful and you wouldn't need the body of Christ. I'm not getting many amens. It's okay, I'm confident. So some things he gives to your shepherds why? So that you don't go off in isolation and get in a place where you can be preyed upon by the enemy. So he makes us needy for friends and fellowship and for leaders so that we can stay in a place of protection. 
so we could stay in the middle of the herd, like I always say, right? So you need a shepherd. Now, listen, I can't be all of your shepherds. I don't see, I, I don't know many people in this room's name. So you can't say, well, you know, Robert's going to speak into my life if he sees something. I never even see you. You're like, man, I must be doing great. Robert's never even talked to me. <laughs> but that's why we have life troops. That's why we have small groups where you can go and actually be with someone every week. And that's actually why we have discipleship because even your life group leaders, some of our life groups have 20 to 30 people. There's no way that the leader can speak in everyone's life. And so that's why we encourage you to go and find a mentor for you to go ask someone to disciple you. Why? So that they can see you weekly and they can speak into your life and they can protect you. Can I just tell you, I have almost done some dumb things. So, so one time I was like, God, I, I really want to go for it. I want to get bolder in sharing the gospel. And I had this great idea. I'm going to put a lawn. I had a busy road that I lived in. I thought, I'm going to put a lawn chair in the middle of the road. And people got to swerve not to hit me. And when they swerve and they start yelling at me like, what are you doing? I could have killed you. I'll say, that's right. I'm risking my life to tell you that Jesus loves you. I thought that was a brilliant idea. But before I did it, I called my pastor and I said, hey, Jimmy, I'm about to do this. What do you think? And he goes, Robert, number one, that's illegal. Number two, you could die. Number three, that's really stupid. Don't do that. Look for another way to share the gospel. I did. I walked around the city just, just sharing with people that I came in contact with and I actually had someone get saved. I was like, I'm so thankful for a leader that kept me from getting run over in front of my house in a lawn chair. Now, by God's grace, for the past 20 years, I haven't walked in any major sin, but I think so much of it has to do with having a leader that can speak into my life and that I submit my ideas and thoughts to before I walk into them. Do you have someone like that in your life? I want to encourage you. It can save you from walking into so much sin. Last point. Last point. Luke twenty two forty, and when he came to that place, he said to them, pray that you might not enter into temptation. We're in the Lord's Prayer. The obvious point is a tool for fighting temptation is prayer, is prayer. But, but how do we use prayer to fight temptation? I call it springboard prayer. Listen to Colossians 2. You have to pay close attention because this is a, a, a little challenging to understand at first. It starts with this in talking about temptation. Verse 21, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. The scripture is trying to explain this. Just when you walk into temptation and just saying, don't touch that, that's not going to work. I mean, it works for a few minutes because you're like, well, maybe I'm strong enough, but eventually we fall. And if we don't fall, then we're pretty prideful and we're like, hey, I'm such a tough guy, I didn't touch that. But have you ever noticed just telling an alcoholic, don't drink, doesn't work? And you might think, well, I'm not an alcoholic, I don't get it. Okay, do you remember as a kid when you were learning to ride a bike and your parents were like, just don't hit that tree? And you start riding, and you're like, oh, the tree! And you're getting closer, you're like, no, the tree! Boom, and you hit the tree. Why? Because you were focusing on the very thing you weren't supposed to hit. And can I just tell you, that's what a lot of us are doing in sin? We're like, don't sin! Don't sin! Oh, no! No! And you hit it. 
just trying not to sin and focusing on the sin you're not supposed to do, you always run into the very thing you're not supposed to do. So what's the secret? Well, Paul unpacks that in Colossians 3. He says, since then, you've been raised with Christ. He's explaining, hey, there's a whole new method because Jesus is in you. Since then, you've been raised with Christ. Set your heart on the things of above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on the things of above, not on earthly things. He's saying, when you're trying not to hit the tree, don't stare at the tree. He's saying, stare at the things of above. When you're trying not to sin, don't stare at the sin. Focus on the things of above. Set your heart on the things of above. Set your mind on the things of above. So it's kind of like this. Let me just show you a little diagram here. You're going around in life, you know, just minding your own business, and all of a sudden you're like, whoa, I'm falling into temptation. Right? Has that ever happened? Like you're just living your life and you're like, where did that hellacious thought just come into my mind? And you're like, ah, falling. But watch. You hit the springboard of prayer. So you're falling, huh? and then you remember, oh, think of the things of above. And you start worshiping. You start going, who's above? Jesus. Jesus, you're awesome. You're powerful. You're the lion of the tribe of Judah. You're a victorious warrior. You're holy, holy, holy as the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And you find instead of falling into temptation, you're launching into prayer. So watch this like this. Can I have my uh, little springboard come out, my, my prayer springboard? So... You have, you have this springboard into prayer, right? And, and, and you're walking, and you're just going about your normal life, and you're walking to class, or you're walking down the hall in your office, or you're walking through your neighborhood, and all of a sudden, ho, oh, whoa, you start tripping, and then, whoa, yes, Lord! <laughs> you launch yourself into if you didn't get that, let me do it in slow motion. You start thinking, oh, I'm so anxious. And you're, you're tripping and falling. And you think, no, I need to worship Jesus. And you're launched into prayer. Can I, can I just tell you that if you put this into practice, you're going to find yourself worshiping more than you ever have before. And actually, the enemy's attack is going to lead you into the very thing that God wants for you. It's a springboard. I actually started realizing one day, I got a little excited. I said, ha, enemy, every time you attack me, thank you because I had forgotten to worship. Ooh. I'm using the enemy's tactics against himself. Are you following me? And guess what happens? The enemy doesn't like you worshiping. So what's his answer? Well, I'm going to stop tempting him in that way. Why? Because every time I tempt him, he just launches into worship. I'd rather him just go about his normal life. Because when I started tempting him, it launched him into worship. So we use the enemy's tactics against himself. And then we start living in the presence of God. And I want to tell you that's the sweetest place to be. Why don't we stand up? Would you close your eyes with me? I want to tell you I believe that if you just take one of these practices today and apply it this week, it's going to change your life. Would you just ask the Lord right now, 
Lord, what's the main temptation I've been dealing with? Just close your eyes, please, and just ask him, what's the main temptation I've been dealing with? And then would you just ask him, now, Lord, what's the temptation tool I need to fight with? And would you just make a commitment this week to fight with that temptation fighting tool? And you just watch these tools launch you into the presence of God and transform you into the person you're called to be. But I want to tell you, unless Jesus is living in your heart as your Lord and Savior, this whole sermon is meaningless because you have to have his power. You have to have the Holy Spirit residing in you. If he's not living in you, I want to give you a chance to pray with me right now. If you just say, I don't know if Jesus is living in my heart. I don't know if I'm forgiven. I don't know if I'm going to heaven when I die. I just want to encourage you to pray this prayer with me right now. Just pray it right after me if that's your desire. Just say, Jesus, I need you. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for giving your life for me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I'll follow you forever. I make you my King and my Lord. If everyone would just keep their eyes closed. If you're praying that prayer this morning, I don't want to embarrass you, but I am going to pray for you as you're giving your life to Jesus. I just ask if you're praying that prayer with me this morning while every eye is closed, every head is bowed, would you just look up at me and wave for a second and say, yeah, pastor, I'm praying that with you. I'm giving my life to Jesus. Just wave at me. Awesome. See ya. Just wave at me all over this room. Who else? Just look up at and say, yeah, pastor, I'm praying that with you. Just wave at me. Awesome. I see you too. Anyone else? Just wave at me. If I haven't seen you, just look up at me. I'm not embarrassing you. just want to pray for you. Father, I pray right now for these that are giving their life to you. I thank you that as far as the east is from the west, that's how far you've removed their sins from them, that their eternal home will be heaven, living in your presence forever. Prayer team, come forward right now, will you? We want to pray for you. Some people in this room, you might be dealing with some huge trial. Maybe it's a temptation. Maybe it's a pain in your life. We want to pray with you this morning. Maybe you have a sickness. Maybe you have a a pain in your body. We want to lay hands on you and ask the Lord to heal you. And for those of you that raise their hands, I want to give you a special book this morning. I want my prayer team, the the books are behind these speakers. If you just come up and say, yeah, I just prayed. I want to to have that book so I can know more about walking with Jesus. You come too. We're going to take one minute as Stephen leads us, but you just come for prayer now. Whatever your need is, every week God's doing amazing things up here. People are giving their lives to Jesus. They're being healed. They're being set free. They're getting help. So you just start making your way forward right now. Slip out from your seats. You can just ask the people to excuse you from the aisles and just come down. Give God a chance to touch you this morning as we sing one last song. You come now as we take time to pray.